0: Well, I ain't seen you in a month of Sundays. Like Literally, it's been a month of Sundays I was sick for the first half of December I had the bronchitis and a sinus infection, y'all And then the last week of December, I had uh, pancake-itis I was eating pancakes every day the week before And um, it caught up to me around New Year's So I was in bed at 10 o'clock with abdominal pains But it's all good now We're here, I'm here with you Um, Thank you for being here with me It's been a year since we've been together in a few days. It will have been a year since I did my first episode with Tavon Carson. And I'm so excited that um, we've come this far. I hope you have enjoyed and learned something um, and been inspired by the writers that I've talked to. I certainly know I have. We're going to continue that inspiration This month, I'm going to bring you two episodes that were recorded last year, and I'd like to thank both of the guests for their patience. The first one that you get today is with Jessica Contrera. She's a reporter at The Washington Post, and she recorded a live interview with uh, some students at Penn State Berks, where I teach. And it was students in my um, article writing class as well. It was open to other students on the campus and some who came who were interested in journalism and communications. And they got to ask her questions. So now you get to kind of be a fly on the wall and listen to that interview. In a couple weeks, I will bring you the interview with Kim Brooks, who's the editor of Salon. You might remember Kim's name. I talked about her when I interviewed Sharice Tracy, who was also published on Salon. that's coming up at the end of the month make sure that you are subscribed on itunes but right now here's jessica contrera um so i'm just going to read what's at the top of this article that is posted on indiana university student work gallery so people can just become familiar again with this particular story Senior Jessica Contreras' story, The End of the Waffle House, about the last days of the 46-year-old restaurant, placed third in the Hearst Journalism Writing Program's feature writing competition. The story also gained popularity on a national scale, appearing in Reader's digest and being cited by pointer.org and other media outlets. The story was first published in the Indiana Daily Student. The story won a first place award for feature writing from the Society of Professional Journalists Region 5 contest and second place from Indiana SPJ. It was also a finalist in the National SPJ Mark of Excellence Awards Contest. That award included honors for Contrera, as well as designer Emily Rudina and photographer Anna Tiers. So let's give her a round of applause for that.
1: (laughs) So let's start with the Waffle House story. Um, Tell us, where did you get
0: the inspiration to bring this story to life about the closing of the Rock House? Um, Yeah, it's
2: kind of a weird, weird story. So I was in a journalism class too, um, so I was a journalism major at IU. um, And my senior year I was in a class with those those, uh, two girls that they mentioned Emma and Anna. They, um, we were in this class together. There was a class of writers, class of typographers, and a class of like multimedia people, and they put us into groups of three. Um, and um, those girls and I have worked together before; we're all really close. Um, so I was lucky that they let me work with them. Um, and kind of as a team building exercise, they said, like our professor said, you have to go out tomorrow. It's like the first day of class. But tomorrow, and from like twelve noon on Friday to twelve noon on Saturday, um, you have to so we had 24 hours to do it, um, and I had seen a couple days before that this restaurant was had a, clothes, you know, a word about whereabouts close sign. Um, and I had actually never been there before, but I was always like very kind of intrigued by it, because it, it was, I'm sure you could maybe tell if you got to see the pictures, like it was really pretty rundown, and um, I had heard the food wasn't like very good but the, there's always people in the parking lot, there's always cars in the parking lot. So I was always kind of like, go by it and be like, oh, that place, must have something going for it, that kind of stuff. So I was curious, and it was a 24 hour restaurant, so when we had tried the 24 hour assignment, it sort of went itself to that. So um, um, so we decided that we would um, we would go there and do like this, um, that's Okay, so we decided we would go there and do uh, our 24-hour project there, like, because it was going to seem close, and we would write about, like, why people go there and that kind of stuff. And so I did that project, and I turned it in, um, and I was lucky because I had, I was sort of ready to just, like, let it go and move on to the next thing, and my professor said, you know, I really think you have something here, and I think you should keep working on it. So that's that's how it happened. And so did you have a word count when you started out with this? Um, I think that the story, I'm, I'm sure the, the first draft that I turned in was much shorter. Um, it was basically, so the story that it, that it came out to be, um, there was basically three days that I went there. So the, the day it closed, um, a week before it closed, which is that middle scene with Dr. Lyda and Rose, and butt, and then the day that it was torn down. So the first draft that I turned in was just that fat section that was like um, the with Dr. Lida and the sandwiches and, and that kind of stuff. So it was it was much shorter. Um, and at that point, I didn't know a lot of the a lot of the stuff I love in the stories, like getting to learn those characters' backgrounds because you realize it's a special place um, to them, and that's what makes it feel special, I think, to me. So. Um, a lot of the background, we talked about briefly, you know, but I didn't really know a lot of those details and that kind of stuff until afterwards, until my professor made me keep going back and going back and, and just keep asking questions, um, you know, and, and say, tell me about, you know, your wife's Alzheimer's, and and then he would say things like, oh, she's, I go and see her at the retirement home or whatever, and, and if I had known and still a thing I'm learning to do is, you know, sometimes you would just write that down and let it be, but that doesn't really connect with anyone. It doesn't really paint a picture in your mind of somebody sitting in a retirement home, so it's just was a lot, a lot of going back and saying, well, what do you guys do when you're there? And he says, I sing her songs, and you say, well, what kind of songs do you sing her? You know, things like that where you're just constantly asking stuff until you get details that people can connect with in the story. And in, a, in, a,
0: in the article on pointer, I read that you did about 15 drafts for this. What? And when we talked about it in class, everybody was like, "Oh my
1: goodness!"
0: <laughs> what do you? What separates your drafts from you? And that's a discussion. What's the first
2: draft? What's the second draft? How do you mark that in terms of revision? Oh well, in this case, it was that's how many I had to turn to my professor. Um. So every time I would turn one in, I would just mark it as new. And so this is like one of those weird situations where I mean, no one like now I would never have time to do 15 drafts. No one would ever let me do that. You know what I mean? But this was a special situation because I was in a class and um, you know I had the time and um, I really just wanted to make it good. And like I like I kept mentioning my professor like it wouldn't take no for answer. So it was constantly. So the drafts would be things like he would, I would turn it in and he would circle something and say, find out more about this. And that's those like steps that I was mentioning. Um, and and it, and it transformed a lot. So, you know, I really probably by the second or third draft decided to really focus on those three people. Um, you know, by maybe the, the sixth or seventh draft I realized that, you know, I would really need to hammer down on like the, the backstory of their lives and like I originally maybe the first draft had some I had more information about um, the neighborhood and how the neighborhood around this area had changed and like getting into the like idea of urban planning I'm mean, going say it like that but you know what I mean? Like there was so much change going on in the area but I had to make a choice between am I going to talk about buildings or am I going to talk about people and obviously it's a lot more powerful to talk about people. Um so so it was just making some of those choices. And again, it's, it's not something I normally get to do now, but having that experience really, really
0: helps me now um, when I, I have to do things faster. Um, you interviewed obviously many more people than you included in the narrative. How did you make the choice of who to include in? Is there someone that you remember that you were like, oh, I really, really want to, but they didn't make the cut? And why?
2: Um, I remember, so, at, I, how I said, there were always cars in the parking lot, and, it, and this place mattered to a lot of people. You're right, I talked to like a police officer a couple who would go in there every day, but it was really popular with police officers and, and that kind of stuff, so it was open 24 hours. Um, when Emma, who was doing the video, interviewed someone, someone broke down in tears, like, to her. And, and what, made, what helped me make the decision, well, I knew it was gonna be Bud, was gonna be one of the main people, and because it was his place, so obviously his life was changing a lot. Um, but I realized from just like the way people, when I would ask them,
1: why do you like coming here? And
2: they would say, you know, oh, it's never changed, it's never changed, you know? And so I think um, somewhere along the way I realized that the people who had the most at stake with this place closing were the people who needed something in their life that wasn't gonna change. There are people who already everything else in their life had just changed so much. And so Rose, her husband had died, um, and Dr. Lida was sort of watching his wife disappear before his eyes, and so they were both people that they went there almost every day. And I don't think you know, like, it's one of those things where you sort of like wonder if that's the case, and then you ask like you can't just make it up, right? You can't like assume, but you ask them like, you know, do you think you go there because you like that it doesn't change? Because there's so many things in your life changing, and they say like,
1: oh yeah, I guess you're
2: right. You do not even things like that, and, and and again, you know, it's trying to find a way to not like what I learned during the stories. I could. I could write that, I could write these people, <laughs> you know, crazy things happened in their lives recently and they really liked having the same tuna salad sandwich every day. But instead, you know, I learned to sort of dig down and find out what those stories were and just try and share them in a way that like, wasn't really, I never tried to like, write like, fancy or anything, I was trying to make it just like, as if somebody was like telling you themselves and that kind of stuff. Um, so I tried to, I guess, and now I'm definitely in blank, but I just tried to, I think they were the people I chose because they had the most at stake with the place closing.
0: And you say that you don't try to write fancy, but we were dissecting your piece and we noticed that there are several elements of wordplay that you do use, like for example, when you open with the alliteration and the tap, tap, tap of the cane. And, um, just really bringing forward the elements of fiction and how you describe the characters. So, is that something that comes naturally to you, or did
1: you concentrate that on that through your draft
2: process? Yeah, I don't think that, if that comes naturally to anyone, like, <laughs> they're very lucky. I, I think that's all just like practice. Um, when I say like write fancy, I, I just mean like um, uh, like, you know, using big words or like trying to make these grand connections or something like that. I think it's more, like you said, kind of like when you read a fiction book, like my favorite fiction book is like Harry Potter. It's written for kids, but like you just read it and it's simple, but you know what's going on. But then there's still tons of like literary techniques, like when you find out early on that like, um, I'm trying to give an example on the story or something. Oh, early on, um, you drop that Rose talks to this picture of her husband. Um, and then you come back to that later, and there's something sort of satisfying about it when you get to it later. Um, so those are definitely like techniques that are used in books, um, and that's something that you, I think, you only really learn by reading a lot of other people's work, um, which I wish I did more of. Um, I think everybody does. You so should just like pause time and read, but I try and try and be good about like reading a lot of the work of people I admire and that kind of stuff because. That's honestly where you learn it. I think that you just start to start to like imitate other people, and then like naturally, hopefully, your own voice comes out in that. But I would say most of that was stuff where where I was being prompted, saying, "Well, what does it smell like in there? You know, what did it sound like? That kind of stuff." In fact, did you find out she talked to her husband? If
0: you saw it, or is that something like she told you?
2: Um, that was funny. She, I went to her house after, uh, not after, like I had met her twice. So that I met her that one day, I met her for the day it closed, and then I went to her house to try and learn more about her life. Um, because she couldn't, she couldn't talk on the phone. Every, you know, I, with, with Doctor Elida I'd call, call him, and I'd be, like, sorry, I just want to ask you more questions and that kind of stuff. But Rose couldn't talk on the phone, and so I was like, well, I'll go over to her house. Which turned out to be way, way better than talking on phone from somebody, which is like one of the most basic journalism things. But she had this picture, and I saw her do it. You know, she'd be like, "Oh, you know," and I said, "I think it was like the things about the cups and isn't that right, Stan?" And um, and I said, "Oh, do you talk to Stan's picture a lot?" And and she said, oh, I talk to him all day, every day, you know, and that kind of stuff. And it's just, and that's one of those moments where like you are like, oh my god, that's so, so sweet, you know, and so nice, and I, I try and like always remember those things because I think if it affects me, I, I at least hope that some of those things will affect other people, I guess. As a
0: featured writer, when you're faced, you get a detail like that, you see her talking to the picture, is there a litmus test that you use to decide what details you might include in the story as far as when the person who Subject sees
2: it. Will they be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you put that in there. It makes me look crazy." Or Um, in in general, um, I think I try and make pretty clear to people. Like, I always have my notebook out, and I always am asking the things and doing things, and I think people understand that. Like, everything's fair game because I, I, you know. And if it's anything that I really um, would be worried about, I all I would, especially in a story like this from time to the time, I think there's a lot of merit in um, running this stuff by people. Um, you know, like, you can't have somebody read your story before it comes out, because that's considered unethical, but I think there's merit in being like, okay, I want to like, walk through my story with you and tell you what's in it. One, because I think people really appreciate it. Two, because sometimes you just like get things wrong, but, you wouldn't otherwise know unless you're like, oh, I included the there this detail, and, and um, I connected it to this other idea, and they'll be like, oh, I don't really see it that way. But most of the time, they might, they usually like, will confirm it, and then maybe even tell you something else that would add to it. So in those types in that type of situation, um, I think I told her beforehand that I was gonna be there, um, and she just laughed or something, you know. So she was really sweet.
1: And you said
0: you always have your reporter's notebook out, and you have lots and lots of details throughout the story, like the smell of the frying oil, the dwindling supply of sausage, and this aluminum cane, the cracks in the ceiling. And so, do you set aside a time when you're in a space to just record details, or do you jot them down as they come to you, you know, along the way?
2: I still struggle with that a lot. In this story, I have so much time to add in more details. I'm sure I don't do it as well when I'm going quickly. But um, one thing I do try and do is um, whenever, wherever I am, I will uh, take, like, a video or photos of the room. Um, And that saves me a lot of time because then I don't have to, like, write down that the couch was gray. I know I can just go look later. Um, And that kind of... And, and sometimes that could be awkward, right, but I was just like, I just want to remember what this place looks like. like I always just explain to people what I'm doing. Um, and then um, and then that sort of frees up my time to uh, maybe write down like smells or sounds, that kind of thing. Um, and just honestly, sometimes it's just a matter of reminding yourself to do it. Um, I know somebody who does, she takes like these, you know, um, her notebooks. she like der- puts like a big T on them. Um, sort of like where you would see the lines on like a notebook piece of paper, um, and at the top she always writes like um, the time every time she flips the page, and on the left-hand side she writes. She always leaves it open for like observations and smells and sounds and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't always am not always in a situ- kind of situations where that works, but I think that's like a really smart way of forcing yourself to. Um, so, to do that, that was Lane DeGregory, if you want to read somebody who does a really, really good job of describing um, uh, sights and sounds and that type of stuff, um, Lane DeGregory, and she writes for the day. Um I
1: want
0: to take this time and open this up to questions about the Waffle House story, before we get on to talking about the Washington Post. Does anyone have questions? you want to come up and ask a question? We'll try to move the microphone over here, you up close and personal
1: with a staff reporter. <laughs> uh, Miguel, introduce you yourself. You like? Can I sit down? Sure. <laughs> <me>. Hello.
3: Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, my name is Miguel. Uh, I'm a professional writing major, uh, trying to become a screenwriter eventually. Um, my question is, uh, what uh, or what inspired you to get into journalism?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, like, oh, hopefully oh, oh, like, it doesn't really make fiction and reading books would like if you want to be a journalist, because journalists, journalism isn't about making stuff up. Um, but then I discovered sort of that there's this whole world of journalism that is about telling stories, um, and that is so fun to me. Um, so I'm I, reading uh, a lot, and then... Um, what else i had like an aunt who was in journalism um for a time and i watched a lot of gilmore girls um, <laughs> and so i'm nothing um and so it just always seemed like kind of a cool thing for me to do and then when i went high school i joined like my um the high school newspaper um and wrote some really terrible articles but had a lot of fun. um and i you know it's just like such a cool job I mean, you basically get paid to like go on field trips all the time and like <laughs> learning and like, you know, like, there's really no nothing else, um, you know if you're not in sort of I guess, yeah, like screenwriting would be the same thing if you're like writing a movie about a certain thing or whatever where you just get to go up to people and be like tell me how your like tell me how this works, like you know, it's just you just get to be so curious and um, it's a lot of hard work um, and, but it's really fun.
1: Yeah, thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh, My name is Kim. I'm actually an organizational leadership major, so not in general at all. But I do have a question for you. Um, You had spoke about roles specifically where you had said about so towards I think the end of the story, where she was coming back from the church and she had spoke to the picture at that time, is that something you knew, or was that something that you just inferred from prior knowledge of her talking?
2: Oh yeah, those are those are interesting, really interesting
1: situations. So so the
2: ideal thing I would be for me to be with her in that moment, and and then I would really know. Um, but I wasn't, and that happened all the time. Um, and so, um, what, what I do is you say, like I'm always very clear about it and it's like, listen, I think I want to write about that moment when you went home. Tell me everything you remember about that. And I can't remember if she said that she did or if I said, oh, did you, did you talk to Stan? But I now that I'm saying that, I think she did say, she was being kind of snooty about the cups or something like that I can't remember exactly but and I think she said and I said isn't that not right Sam and like then it just became like kind of a I I think I think I think what happened was and you have to forgive me because it's now been a little while but um, she said that to me at that time and then because that's such a detail that I love then that's when I decided to sort of place up earlier in the story that she talks to her husband because then that detail sticks out more. It's not just like, oh, and she also talks to her, you know what I mean? It's just like something, and that's sort of a thing i try and to do a lot, you know, and you'll notice it in books and that kind of stuff, um, you know, that's a very common thing, but
1: but I like to do that with details like that. So. And then I said have one other question. Um, it doesn't, as far as but this concern, so it's kind of like a, a dual question, but
2: Why he? Had, you know, he was just—he was an old school, old, old kind of guy who liked to talk about his feelings. So, um, so I—I I think that it was just so long ago to him that there wasn't really much thought about how it became the way it was. It had been this way for him for so long. So I wish I knew more about sort of his intentions when he was young, and stuff. Um, but no, I—I I don't know if I can. The what I will say the one thing I did do because I was having so much trouble with him is I interviewed his son and I interviewed his wife about him and what they thought he might be going through. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. Hi, um,
3: I'm Avery. I'm a professor of writing. gentlemen.
2: did say about (laughs) things you order on the menu and that kind of stuff, and the reasons why people went there, um, that took a lot of time for me to kind of figure out, especially if I have never been there before I did the story, Um, but it's just, to me, it was a matter of like really trying to get people to feel like they knew what it was like to sit inside there. So, um, you know, putting in a lot of details and that kind of stuff, um, and, uh, you know, about like the the ceiling and the, the menu and those types of things. Because I think um, you know, it really wasn't. It's not like I was writing about a place that people couldn't imagine in their minds. I think most Americans have been to some version of a crappy diner, at least like growing up in the Midwest. That's how we rule. Um So I think the more details that you put in the story, the more somebody—it's just like like when you read a book, like you might you might be imagining how. It than what it really is, but just as long as you feel like you are there, I think that makes you a lot more connected to the characters and more likely to like keep reading. So,
3: and this one's kind of like a silly question, but um, in your article, you said 67 mornings. I was like, did you did they <laughs> actually count the mornings, or did he actually like come up with that number on his own? You had like this research, and
2: you know. I I found it in the morning. Okay. <laughs> I just said this because um this at one point this set that, that sentence wasn't like in the story because we had cut it and right. I had spent so much time like I, I used like some um, computer calculator or something like that, but I knew I'd find out the exact date open and the exact day and you know i closed and so you can count the number of days there like um and, and I had spent so long on it because I'm just not that good of a math person, which is very stereotypical of journalism. But um, <laughs> I spent so much time getting it. And then my professor had cut it, and I was like, no, I'm putting that back in there. <laughs> so thank you for saying that. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. else question about Okay, so
0: you graduated from Indiana University and tell us how
2: you got to be a staff reporter at the Washington Post. Um I so it actually had a lot to do with this story. Um so the story came out and I was really lucky that it had been posted on some stuff online and that kind of stuff so more people probably saw it than would normally see a regular student article. Um, and so I reached out to a lot of the people, anybody who like tweeted it or that kind of stuff and they worked at an newspaper that I would like to work for or internet. Um, I reached out to them and said like thank you for, for tweeting my story. like. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm actually about to apply to the internship program at your paper. Do you have any advice for me? Um, and I did that a lot of places. Um, and of course, like some people will never email me back and that kind of stuff. But there was a couple people um, at the, or one guy at the post who was really really generous with his time and was, you know, gave me advice and helped me look over my clips and that kind of stuff. Um, so I always include that because I think. Um, that yeah, was definitely part of the reason why I got the internship at the post was because like I had some connections in the building, and I wouldn't have had those if I hadn't had been a little bit of um, uh, like an annoying <laughs> person, you know. But I think I always tell people like especially, and I think it's probably the way in most professions. I don't know, but at least in journalism, in my experience, everyone kind of started at the bottom, and so everyone most people are honestly a, a lot more willing to help you out and that kind of stuff if they can tell that you're a very hard worker and that like, you really care about it. I think people are extremely willing to like give you advice and that kind of stuff or look over your work. Um, so I did do that um, and then I got the internship um, at the post. So I had a summer intern there after I graduated. Um, and I'd already done a lot of internships beforehand. Internships are really, really important in journalism because you just, it's a really hard thing to learn in a classroom, um, just alone. Uh, so I'd already done a lot of internships. So I got the internship there um, and worked really, really hard and tried to be the person who was you know, there first and left last and went above and beyond and that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't mean to like say that to be like, I'm great, but I just do think that's really important. Some people, like some interns in my class, like ones we had this year just like kind of acted like they were great because they got the internship and I think it's important for you to remember and for me to remember now, even, you know, because I'm so young, it's just like, to, like you're on the bottom of the toe pole and like that's okay. And like just working really hard is, is really important and especially in this job because it's just so busy. Um, so yes, yeah, so I did that and then I was very lucky and they, um, they offered me a job. So now I'm a general, and I, I will say I was also there as they were hiring a lot of people because um, Jeff Bezos, who's the owner of Amazon, bought the paper. So I was lucky to intern there at a time when they had the money to hire people. How long, uh,
0: how long was your internship?
2: Uh, two months, it was over the summer. So I uh, started officially in September. And so I've been here for like a year now, and um, I'm a general assignments writer, sort of, um, in what we call the style section, which has nothing to do with fashion and it's a really stupid name for it, but it's what they've called it since it was born, and it's like basically um, sort of a lifestyle section of the paper that does do like arts and culture and that kind of stuff, but also does a lot of... um, Feature stories and human interest stories that are sort of off the news. Um, so that is a lot of what I do.
0: Can you explain to us how a staff reporting position works um, at a daily paper? How are you assigned
2: write mainly for like their their content is mainly online and they write three stories a day so it's a little bit different for everyone um but for me i my schedule is sunday through thursday and on sundays i help out with whatever needs um done so sometimes i'm just there in case anything happens um vaguely with his wife and uh, when things aren't happening, I write stories for our um, online style blog. So that could be one story, sometimes it's three. Those are when I'm doing sort of more uh, stories like just reading stuff that happened over the weekend and trying to maybe call one or two people, but they're pretty quick, kind of, this is what happens, what's you miss, kind of a thing. Um, And then the rest of the week, I work on sort of these general assignment stories. Um, I always have probably, five or six going at one time. Some of them I'll work on for uh, six months and some of them I'll work on for a, a day or three days or something like that. Um, i pitch pitched a lot of my own stories, um, especially because I'm on the general assignments team and I don't have a specific beat. Um, I sort of know the areas that I'm interested in writing about um, and I'm always reading at time and looking for what is, what's the next thing I can work on. Um, so during the week I probably have between one and three stories that go in a paper. Do so you have some advice for students
0: who might be so being on a-
2: in like crime stuff then then you might be set for a, a crime beat or something like that a police beat. what's what I, I like about journalism like I said was sort of that whole idea of telling stories so I can find there are stories everywhere there uh, you know and like when I say stories I'm talking about something where like there's characters and there's a beginning and an end um, and sometimes stories are, are things where you, there's a concept that you're explaining, um, but even even in that sort of situation for me, I like to find people whose lives interact with that concept and, and so I'm explaining it through their own personal story. So for me, a, a, a lack of having a beat or having to write about a lot of different things, um, is still sort of in my wheelhouse because the thing that I like doing is is finding a way to tell them as a story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely, but I think I'm always trying to check in and being like, you know, do you need more stuff this week? Do you need me to find something quick? Do you need, um, you know, like, I know I need to take some time on this story. It's now a good time for me to do it. Um, because that's just the way the world of a newspaper works. Is if they told everyone, you know, write six stories every two weeks, then... Um, it just wouldn't work because some people, some of those stories would be long and, and you wouldn't need two stories in the next to day because you have the one, you know. Um, and with, with the internet, there's really no stopping how many you do um, and how long or short they are. But We do still have a print product that sort of things tend to, to circle around. So I don't have a quota or anything like that, but I think it's a really important part of my job is um, keeping in touch with my editors and saying, you know, what do you need from me this week? Do you have a certain number of hours you have to be in the office? Um, uh, I mean, they're like they're the general thing is like regular business hours. Um, journalists and business hours are just generally a little bit later. Like I would say the main hours people are there from 10 to 6. Um, but um, it really depends because I might not go in it at, at all one day because I have an interview at Maryland that takes all day or something like that. Um, so my hours typically I normally get in between like nine and nine thirty, and I normally leave sometime between six and seven thirty, depending on the day. So we're gonna
0: open up to questions about journalism.
2: get my stories to send to my editor, you know, that type of stuff. Um, I think being a good intern is asking a lot of questions and not pretending to know what you don't know, but also like trying to have, get yourself to have the confidence to be like, you know what, they they did pick you here for a reason and I better do my work and just like do whatever it is they think that I can do. So, if that makes
1: sense. Thanks.
2: To be on a specific beat, I didn't um, expect all of the different things that I would get to to learn because it is like you're taking every time you get a new story about a different subject, it's like you're taking a mini class in it. You try and learn as much as you can really fast, um, and then you try and like you know talk to the people who are experts, and you become a little bit of an expert on you know, or at least a novice on a lot of different issues. there's something I didn't expect. Um. Hmm. Um. I guess I did not expect that. Geez, this is really hard. Um, I haven't looked as much as I probably should have into it. I guess I would say I didn't always expect that um, there would be times when I would have to like. Uh, Give myself creativity. Like I would say, that journalism, like it's not—you're never really going to get bored, right? Because you're always, you're always learning stuff. But there is sort of—it's easy almost to fall into like a complacency once you have sort of like, you know, if you don't have to write a long story and you kind of have collected the things you need, you can kind of fall back on things that you like doing. You know, writing the lead a certain way or structuring your story a certain way. Um, And so I think it's easy to get complacent, um, but like what's the point of that? Because then you're not going to get better. So for me, I think the thing that surprised me is just like how often I need to push myself to be like, okay, I need to try something new, or really I am going to pitch this that I think I probably can't do, um, just to try and keep getting better and better. Um, So, because I'm working a lot, and so it's I guess that those type of things, like it's not like, oh after five years you're like, oh I need a challenge or something like that. I think it's a little bit more of getting yourself to give yourself challenges like every week or every month, that kind of stuff. Okay, so travel often? Um, not as often as I would like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, travel, like I have been allowed to travel with stories a couple times, which is really cool, and um, basically how that works is like, I find a story that I think is worth traveling for, and then I ask if, if that's okay to do. Um, uh, and then as far as like other travel, I hope to do more. I'm going to New Mexico next week for the first time. Mm-hmm. My best because we're going to the International Hot Pop- Air Balloon Festival. <laughs> 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 but they really wanted to go, um, and so I used my tax return and bought <laughs> a plane ticket. Those Um, like trying to make you know journalism. You have to show what clips you have. Um, So first, it's a matter of like trying to write stories. Um, For me, it was on my student newspaper. Some people do it like online and blogs and that kind of stuff. So you have something to show for yourself, Um, and then trying to do a good job of like packaging those things so that they look nice, so that you're when when they you know now it's all a lot online, Um, but when your resume comes across, you know they. It looks very clean and nice, and I, these are the kind of things that are like I made myself an online portfolio too. I hate, I mean, it's just not, those things are not fun. You know what I mean? Like being like, I wrote this story and blah, blah, blah. You know, but but it's sort of necessary just because there are so many people who are applying. Um, so I would be doing that. Um, and then once you get to the internship, like, because like I said, I did a number of different ones, I interned um for the summer before my senior year um, and um, I also did one during school, I interned up the Lafayette Journal and Courier uh, in, Indi- in India um, and some others, so I think, like I said, working really hard when you're there uh, um, so that those people will then recommend you to the next person, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks. Oh, and if anyone wants to apply for so the post internship, I think the deadline is in October. It's like October 15th or something like that. Um, and they take all different kinds of people, all different, like, um, people who have been in, like, I think you, you know, you have to have almost, like, three years of undergraduate and that kind of stuff, but they have people who have graduate degrees, they have people who have been working in another field for like 10 years and then want to do journalism, it's paid, it mm-hmm. stuff, so, so um, I can make sure, that not information, but is anybody's interested in that, um, I have no poll, so
1: maybe I'm thinking like, oh, I'm <laughs> interested that's never going to happen,
2: but I do think it's worth applying if it's something you guys are interested in.
3: Have <laughs> um, you ever did an article where you really didn't like um, the type of thing that the person was saying? Like, you did not really.
2: for seven hours to see him at this parade. And yesterday he was speaking to Congress, so there was people on the mall, um, people on the mall uh, you know before he spoke to Congress. So obviously when the Pope is in town, you're gonna talk to people about a lot a wide range of political issues of you know there are people I interviewed a guy who was like the Pope is the Antichrist and that kind of stuff. Um, very seriously um, you know people who um people who uh, don't believe in gay marriage and do believe in gay marriage, people who don't believe you know are pro-life and and not like you know, and I think that the key for me is sort of distancing myself like my own um whatever just from like my job, right like there's me as a person and then there's me as a reporter and as a reporter, my job, Judge people. There's a quote, and I'm not going to be able to think of who said it, but like that, a writer's job isn't to judge, it's to understand. Um, And I think that's really important. So I think you interview the person who um, is telling you um, all about uh, their, you know, their views on immigration, the same way you interview the person who's telling you all about their views on Obama being the devil. Um, I think that's just your job. And um, and then when you go and write it, it's of course a challenge because you have to introduce, you know, both like multiple sides and you have to introduce skepticism and that type of stuff, especially as a features writer because your stories have to have sort of a voice to them and that kind of stuff. Um, But I think that there's a way to, to do that that I also can still really respect people. So when I wrote about the guy with the, he had this like sign that the Pope was the, the Pope was the antichrist and Obama was the devil, or vice versa, I can't remember. I mean, he was dead serious. And so like I, you know, included what he said to other people. And then I also included, you know, the things that would also indicate, you know, like the full range of his, whatever he's got going on. He told me that he does, he had this camera clipped to his side, um, and he was like, you know, I can I, be, I I'm like, oh, you post that somewhere and like, you yeah, guy, I do YouTube and I do Google, but I don't do Facebook, Facebook is evil. And like, you know, like those, those things that really kind of show, you know, who he is and just like putting those out there are important. And then also putting in the story, like the guy who stood on the bench and turned on Taylor Swift on his phone so he would drag on out the Antichrist guy. didn't <laughs> work at all. So, like, that's really Right, like a crazy man who thinks the focus <laughs> of the Antichrist, you just, you know, let people make their own decisions.
3: Um, what skills did you learn from your internship and what skills did you like have going into your internship?
2: Ooh, um, I would say in journalism, like they're all one and you just are always building on it. Like you're always trying to get better. So big journalism skill plus listening learning when to shut up um, is it's really important I think um, because people especially when you're talk to them about emotional things um, you know will sort of give you a generic answer first and then you just sometimes you need to just not say anything just sort of look at them and, and you say quiet, and then they start talking to and then they say something that is meaningful. Um, so learning to be quiet and to listen, um, also to listen when people give you an answer. So you're not just reading off a set of questions that you have pre-written. You know, they might say something really interesting in their answer, and if you're not listening, uh, then you're not going to have the chance to ask the follow-up. Um, um, I think for me, a skill I'm always working on is sort of organization uh, of. You know my living room, and also come to uh, writing. Organization is really important for me as a features writer. So the way you structure your story, Um, and one of the things that uh, again I think is really important is reading. Um, And my some of my professors used to make me when I would find a story that I really liked, I would almost. First outline is what they call it. So you read it and you say, okay, like you make little bullet points and see how they decided to put certain things where. Um, I think that teaches you structure. To me, is probably one of the most the, like the biggest keys to success when it comes to writing, especially a long story. Um, so those mm-hmm. are the, the first two that come to mind, probably.
1: Yeah. questions.
2: <laughs> you guys ready for the weekends?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all <reports>. at <laughs> once.
2: person or people who um, sort of represent um, an issue or something going on in the news. So you can't ever find somebody who's like exactly like representative of something that you want, but when we read about all of these things like immigration or um, food stamps or uh, what's on, whole oh, Planned Parenthood right now. So, we, m- me, um, I'm not personally affected by any of those three things, but I'm reading about them all the time. i um, reading about sites that people, you know, over at the Capitol are happy about them. And I understand they're going on, but, I mean, I'm not really going to, like, think about them or really feel, you know, like I need to get involved or do something about them, unless, for me, I, like, I read a story about the nurse who's working in a Planned Parenthood clinic. Um, the the mom who is you know uh, her food stamps changed so I'm using examples of stories other people have read. Um, you know her food stamp schedule changed and, and you know she had three days where she couldn't feed her kids well you know these are the, the types of stories where you take this issue um, and then through reaching out to advocacy organizations or um, looking on Facebook or you know you find a way to take a big issue and find, you know, kind of cycle down and find somebody who's really affected by it. And you tell the story of that person's life and what they're going through. And you connect it back to these bigger issues, but you kind of let people know this is a real thing. This is why, how it's really affecting, here's this one person that follows lots of other people. That's, that's, those are my favorite types of stories to, to do and to read. Thank so. you, yes. Let's give
0: her a round of applause. the first Behind the Pros episode of 2016. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did and uh, just listening to it reminded me of how much fun it actually was to to record that show way back in September. Again, stay tuned. Kim Brooks is up in a couple of weeks on Behind the Pros and I will get back on the check-in and I will have some big publication news for you. The next time I see you. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes and leave a review because we have two reviews now. So we just need yours and yours and yours and yours. So go to iTunes.com and leave a review of Behind the Pros. Thanks for rocking with me another week, another year. I'm your host, Keisha Whitaker. Behind the pros music is by UK artist Redverse West Boyle. You can find him on SoundCloud. The show was hosted and produced by me. And I'm in a dark living room right now in Pennsylvania because the power just went out. Until next time, listen, learn, and
1: write.